Thank you for downloading the Engineering Commons podcast. In this episode, we talk with electrical engineer Bob Schmidt about effective email. We also cover EMPs, USBs, and BCCs. The Engineering Commons explores challenges encountered by engineers, regardless of field or industry. Join Adam, Brian, Carmen, and Jeff as they discuss issues of interest to today's engineering professional. This is Episode 101, Effective Email, February 4th, 2016. So, Jeff, uh, what are you using to communicate these days? Are you a WhatsApp user, Facebook message? What, what's got your goat? <laughs> WhatsApp? What's, what's that? Who's that? Who's that? <laughs> An almost $20 billion company. Wow. What? Is that American dollars? It's dollars of some kind. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> Either way, it's a lot of money. Yeah, no, I'm not a uh, WhatsApp user. I, I barely use Twitter. Occasionally send out a notice about a new episode of this show being up. But uh, no, I'm afraid that uh, I'm pretty old-fashioned. If it's not email or the telephone, I just don't communicate with people. I'm actually pretty much the same way. So uh, either we're both not trendy or not too many people are jumping (laughs) on this train. But there's no way that's possible. (laughs) Well, I know there's a lot of of people that are are, uh, on other communication platforms. What is it? Instachat? Instasnap? Instagram? Instagram, is that it? I think so. Instagram. And uh, what are some of the others? Western Union. Snapchat. Snapchat. That's the one I was trying to come up with, Snapchat. <laughs> I had Instachat. That was the, I was mixing two up. All right. So much for our younger crowd. We're, we're just shooting <laughs> ourselves in the foot here. <laughs> you guys want to see some slides? <laughs> <laughs> you won't be surprised to know that I still have a old uh, Kodak a carousel slide projector in the basement. So awesome! Those things are just awesome, though. Clunk, clunk, clunk. clunk. I mean, I, I think those clunk, things are awesome. Clunk, yeah, clunk. the clunk, clunk. I mean, it, it, it's just there's something about them that you know digital just can't meet. It's like <laughs> vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> Carmen and Adam, are you uh, old enough to remember the uh, film projectors that were like? They were they used them a lot in classrooms where they were almost like slides, but like the advancing of the the thing was timed to some sort of a cassette player. So things would advance when uh, like a tone would happen in the cassette. Yes, I can't say we ever had that. No, we just always had the TV and VCR that got wheeled in. Jeff, did you remember that? Oh yes, but but I was before you. We didn't have the cassettes. We just had a little. Uh, a 45 record player. And so it, you put the stylus on and it would go beep and the uh, slide projector or the, the little film projector would advance to the next slide. Yeah. But they were film, right? Sometimes they, they were, were – Sometimes I remember a version where it would be slides, but I think I remember the film ones. Yeah, at least the ones I remember, it was always film. I mean, it had a, a you know strip of film that you put into the projector. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Memories. <laughs> well, and that's what's funny about uh, you know today's technology, right? There will be people that forty years from now will be looking back on the iPhones as, as that old, you know, the old time uh, technology. And boy, don't you long for the days when it was a simpler time? Instead, so, you know, you just beam your thoughts directly into somebody's head. 
uh, you say that, but I bet we're not too far away from that. Probably not. 40 no. years from now. Call a push notification is just as bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the question is whether you'd be able to turn it off. Tinfoil hats. You just take it off when you want to receive messages. Ooh. There's there's no there's no need to imagine a dystopia that already exists. Oh wow, that's pretty deep. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, I so I tell you what, there, there's a lot of means of communication around uh, these days and in instant messaging and texting. But you know what? There is a form of communication that's been around pretty heavily since the mid '90s. That's email. And it, it's still the one you'll primarily use when you're uh, at work, too, unless you're at some fancy startup. Yeah. And, and the other thing that I, I make note of is that if somebody wants to confirm that you are you, the most popular way is just to send something to your email box. They figure if you get the email, you must be who you claim to be. That's why I am Ben Affleck. <laughs> <laughs> that would be benaffleck at gmail.com? No, Hotmail. Hotmail. Oh, very good. <laughs> Right. Well, tell you what, since email seems to be such an important means, continuing important means of communication, we thought we'd talk about how to send more effective email. And so our guest for this episode is electrical engineer Bob Schmidt, author of the book, An Engineer's Guide to Solving Problems. Listeners may remember Bob from our prior episodes about troubleshooting and ideas without words. Bob, welcome back to the Engineering Commons. Thank you. It's wonderful to have you uh, back on the show again. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing fine, thank you. Now, uh, since we talked to you last, uh, how's the uh, how's the troubleshoot how's the troubleshooting book been doing? Oh, uh, surprisingly well, or at least surprising for me. And of course, <laughs> uh, most most people see it as a technical book, but I like to think of it as a business book in disguise. And, and that's because I think problem solving is really a much more universal topic. We're, we're never going to run out of problems to solve, and we really need every single person to contribute if we're ever going to come close to even solving some of the big problems. So mm-hmm. that, that's why I, I like the idea of teaching this more universally and not just limiting it to engineers. Mm-hmm. Can I return my copy, please? I thought it was a technical book. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know I bought a business book in disguise. I feel hoodwinked. Uh, Oh, sorry. <laughs> just just mail me the $20 or whatever it costs. <laughs> okay. So, so are, are you getting interest from business organizations? Sometimes. Sometimes. And uh, it, it is, uh, you know, it kind of hits a, a college demographic um, mm-hmm. because a lot of the stories, I think, are, are fun um, for people. For engineers starting out, I sometimes think very experienced engineers say, oh, well, I've got a story just like that one. And then they, they have to one-up the stories. But that's, sure. that's okay. Right. Right. And is there – you? Uh, last time we spoke with you, you had recently come out with a second edition. Are there any plans for a third edition of that book? Not right now. Okay. Nope. nope. Going to stick with the second edition for probably another year. It worked for okay. what twenty five thirty for the art of electronics. <laughs> if if you do the book right, there's no need to do it again. There we go. It's timeless. <laughs> it's time for a sequel, so you can uh, sell back to all the people who already have it. Yeah, the engineer's guide to causing problems. <laughs> uh, we don't need a book for that. <laughs> Are you sure? Think of all the stories you could have for that. 
Well, and, and Bob, the last time you were on, we talked about uh, sharing ideas without words. The idea being that we could uh, there are cer- certain concepts that were more easily shared in maybe mathematical equations or diagrams than they were using the written word. Uh, and you had mentioned that you were spending a lot of time communicating with with your uh, engineering colleagues using marked up photos. Are are you still sending out a lot of those marked up photos? Yes, yeah, I I really am. I'm using marked up photographs actually more and more these days. I, I just went through an exercise of needing to document a series of screen captures from some audio measurements. And oh, you know, we added circles around the critical results and arrows and th- things that were not what we expected, and then added some explanations nations below that. And then it was amazing because once the chip software team could see what we were talking about, they immediately were able to deliver a fix. And and it always, for me, it comes back to that saying, if I could see it, I could fix it. So was there a lot of confusion before you were able to send them the photos? Yes. um, Some other folks had been sending some short emails that that said, uh, here's the problem. The the levels are wrong. And, Mm -hmm. And they would kind of scratch their head and say, well, well, what levels? And they there there was a lot of misunderstanding about what levels were being referred to during the test. Okay. Well, that sounds uh, that sounds pretty effective. I, I know Brian has spoken before about just uh, uh, sometimes an easy way to get ideas out was to just pull out his phone and, and take a, a, a photograph of the oscilloscope and send that to somebody. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, my iPhone has now become my scope capture tool for... <laughs> Pure reasons of pure laziness. I've also, I've also used uh, what's it called FaceTime to do uh, alignment on a uh, pneumatic system where I was inside the anechoic chamber and I couldn't see the pressure reference. So I had somebody sitting outside the chamber by the uh, regulator, you know, using their iPhone to do FaceTime so I could make adjustments on the device we were measuring, and then <laughs> I could see how that would affect our reference pressure. Right. Take this before the door was closed. Uh, yes. Oh, it would, it would not have worked very well. Uh, yeah, and the uh, high RF was off while I was in there as well. Oh, so you didn't microwave yourself? Mm-mm. As much as I tried. <laughs> you just got a nice little suntan. No, uh, and I've also mentioned in the past that I often have used like you'll go back and forth on the phone over you know something on a circuit board that isn't right or the manufacturer is saying that you know you the clearance doesn't look good and instead of saying oh that one via you know just send me a picture of what you see in the gerbers and then you know we can start talking from there you know use it use microsoft paint to draw a circle and just send it to me Mm -hmm. yeah and so brian i wanted to follow up on a recent episode you were saying that you were starting to use OneNote more are you still using that a lot Oh, yes. That's new hotness for me. <laughs> and I'm just starting to use it in a collaborative sense, too. Okay. So I, I can't comment much about how useful it is for that. Okay. I st- I'm a little bit w- weirded out by the fact that somebody may be modifying my notes. Right. Well, so, Bob, I understand that you've, although you're not writing a third edi- edition of the troubleshooting book, you've got some thoughts in mind about a book about email. And so what has you thinking about email? 
Uh, thank you. Well, re replying to your question, would it be too forward of me to say I've gotten attached to that subject? Ooh. Okay. Oh. <laughs> we, can, we can splice in a badoosh. Uh, that is five pun points. Uh, sorry about the bad puns. Oh, no. Keep them coming. Keep them coming. Yeah. Oh. So the, the, the truth is I really I spend a huge part of my work life dealing with email. And, and mm -hmm. the frustrations of dealing with bad emails and the joy of receiving really excellent emails struck me as deserving a short book that, that was dedicated to the simple things people can do to create effective and enjoyable emails. Mm -hmm. So for now, let's call this new book An Engineer's Guide to Business Email. I, I, I have no intention about talking about personal email because people, as far as I'm concerned, people can do what they want with personal email. You know, that that's... That's fine, but in a business environment, it's a little different. Right. Uh, the, the plan for this new book is to be a free ebook, and it should be available at Amazon uh, and prettygoodproblemsolver.com uh, probably in March. Excellent. Hmm. Excellent. So this means you've been making progress already. Yeah, I've got a, a, a strong draft started, but I, I know how that is. You know, when you're 90% uh, done, you still have 90% of the work to do. So I, I got a long way to go yet. And, you know, you've probably heard that that expression that you never have a second chance to make a good first impression. And to be totally blunt, as far as email goes, you are what you send. So if, <laughs> if email's like an envelope, a bag or a box, the question is, what are you going to put in that package? You know, is it going to be something that delights the, the reader or will it be a flaming bag of excrement thrown on their front porch? You know? <laughs> That's why I always start my emails with once upon a time. Give them some hope. <laughs> if you don't feel like each email hasn't burned a bridge, you're not trying hard enough. <laughs> oh, that's good. Can I use that one? <laughs> yes, you can. Uh, so... Yeah. Uh, so that that's what got me started in it was kind of the daily uh, suffering and enjoyment. Yeah. You should have an entire chapter on being passive aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite saying what you want to say. <laughs> right. So is it, am I right then? I am assuming, Bob, that Email is now the primary form of written contact. That is certainly that way in my life. Is it? Is it that way in uh, in yours? Yeah, it is. Now you know we do still use some of these other tools. Um, uh, in my particular uh, work life, we use a tool called Basecamp. That that is uh, a website where you can post uh, files, but you can also carry on a, a conversation. But nonetheless, they back that up by sending emails. And um, in many cases, we will take a conversation back out of the discussion forum there and, and put it onto email. Um, mm -hmm. e email is just an, a tremendously convenient tool for, uh, for capturing some ideas, for documenting something. And the most important thing is that nobody out there controls it. You know, it, Google can't shut it off. They can't change their mind. Uh, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Apple, nobody is solely in charge of it. And it's all baked into that infrastructure of the Internet. So it really it's it's one of the very few things that's totally universal like that. Right. 
And and so if uh, if one of the important things about email is making a good first impression, what might we do to make a better first impression? Okay, so I, I've got my my five item list. You know, I'm big on five questions or five items, or you know, I probably should be able to boil this down to three, but but I got five. <laughs> <laughs> and so no one would take I'm, three seriously. Yeah, it's too so, short. So let, let me give you my five quick items, and sure. the, the first one is spend some time on the subject line. I, I really think that one's important. The next one is know to whom you are speaking. And mm-hmm. and that that means basically know what all who those names are in the uh, the both the two field the carbon copy and sometimes if you're putting something in the blind carbon copy you should really know who you're sending that to. Uh, mm-hmm. Then I've got one called check it twice read it thrice and thrice that's a funny word for three times. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and then my fourth one is, oh, those miserable attachments. And, and, uh, and the fifth one is the stop caution and yield signs in the road ahead. Hey, that's right up Adam's alley. Yeah. Except signs don't go in the, in the road. In most instances, <laughs> they go next uh, to the road. You're right. <laughs> oh, he's got to start the whole ebook over now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Should I say by the road ahead or alongside the road? Along ahead. the road. Along works. Along works. Up the road along. ahead. Then it's sort of a oh. nebulous concept. There you go. <laughs> All right. Page two of his ebook. <laughs> <laughs> You've stumbled into my expertise. <laughs> That's great. Right. Well, so, so uh, do you mind if we spend a little time going through those five? Uh, we can do that. That's no problem. Go ahead. So, uh, when you say spend a little time on the subject line, I know that they say when you when you write a blog, you should spend a lot of time on your title because people will immediately, you know, read your article or not read your article just based on the title. And I assume the same thing's the case with email. Yes, I think that's a that's a really good way of saying it. Now, I work in a project oriented company, and so for people in that kind of situation, I always insist that the project name, you know, or sometimes we use project codes. Uh, mm-hmm. that that's always the first part of the subject field. So if, if we have a project name like, oh, this is the XYZ 500 for the product, then the very first part of that subject line should be XYZ 500. Then typically it might be, let's say we're having a discussion about DDR timing. Then the next, the subject line might say XYZ 500 colon DDR timing. Mm-hmm. And then you can get more and more detailed but you don't have to go really deep. You're just trying to give people a, a, a really quick way of dealing with, you know, the dozens of projects and to identify and sort through those incoming emails. Uh, it, it, it's a true story. There, there was a point in time about eight or nine years ago, I was managing a hardware team. And after one particularly challenging day, I realized by, you know, sizing my inbox that I had received 600 emails in 10 hours. Wow. <laughs> and that was that was one email arriving every minute of that 10-hour day. That's like more email than I get in a month. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it can be really hard to deal with that many emails. I mean, just even sorting them, let alone reading all of those. And so a, a good subject line really helps you organize things. And mm-hmm. uh, I've got two sub 
sub rules or to that. And one is never send an email with a blank subject line. Yes. <laughs> Amen. So, so what is that? Okay, I, I got to hear this because I do that all the time. Oh, I don't know what to do with it. Are you using Outlook? Yeah. I see, and I, I never even look at the subject. I just click right on it. Hmm. Hmm. But does that mean you're opening every email that comes in because you assume it's important? No, I open. I only open like 2% of the emails I ever get. So, so when you see a blank subject line, what causes you to open that? Uh, because, you know. It, you get the preview in Outlook. I, I, I might, I might uh, use emails slightly different than you guys, but I, I never receive an email that I'm really not ex- – I never open it. An email that I wasn't expecting. Do you never have to go back and search your emails? Because the search in Outlook is not oh, super great. <laughs> I'm usually searching based on people. I'm weird. I'm now willing to admit that. I, I know a lot of people <laughs> who do that. Absolutely. Well, you'll say, I know I got this email from Steve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'll know. I mean, so almost always I'm sorting in Outlook based on person. So, you know, one of my board manufacturers, I wanted to know what date my board manufacturer said they were going to do this, you know, and it was two boards back or something like that. And I'll just click on the last email I saw with them and sort by sender. Well, if that works for you, I think that's okay. But it it's it certainly raises my blood pressure a couple of notches. <laughs> and that's good. That's good. That's good to know. It's something I would not have anticipated. Yeah. I know, I know it would definitely drive my boss nuts. Cause you know, I may have two, three projects that I have to keep track of. So I could maybe do it with no subject line, but he's got how many, many people under him. He could have 30 projects. He's got to be looking at and a no subject email line would just drive him nuts. Yep. And sometimes it's even, it's enough to, you've read the email once and you're, you're going back and you're trying to find that right email, it's enough to, that's the one. Yes. Yep. Or at least get you right in the, the thread so you can, you know, scroll down and find it mm-hmm. that way either instead of finding that exact email. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing. Outlook sorts threads by subject name. Yes. Or by the subject. Interesting. It can sort. You, you can select how it sorts. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Now I know. <laughs> There you go. It's like being told you don't have uh, you don't have enough deodorant on, man. <laughs> I just I just wish someone would have told me. <laughs> no, it's more along the lines of wait, there's deodorant. <laughs> now, since I don't work in a corporate environment, I run my local client for all my emails, Thunderbird, uh, which I assume like I assume Outlook has a similar feature in which you can tag all your emails to make it easier to go back and find things later. And I occasionally will tag something as important just so I can mark the things that I don't definitely don't want to forget. I want to get back and and handle the email. Uh, But do you guys uh, effectively use tagging in your, in your email client? I do. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I got it for a few things. Um, Like, you know, if someone sends me a, a spec sheet from design, you know, like these are the parameters of our FETs. If I have to plug that into a model later on or whatever, I'll definitely flag (laughs) that so I can just go to my folder for, you know, ISL XYZ and click it, sort by the thread or, you know, the, the tag and it's right there. So, so are you, so when I tag, I'm just tagging on a temporary basis to make sure that I, I can immediately bring that stuff up, but that's different from sorting by content. Yeah, no, I, I do a tag so I can find it 
later on because questions will pop up months down the road and I have to find it right. in, you know, a okay. big box of email, you know, right. metaphorical box. <laughs> yeah, I, I make extensive use of the uh, Outlook um, task, the little red flag. If yes. something comes in, I need to do something. I set that time and then I put that email, hopefully as soon as possible, into my um, project folder. I have about 40 projects that I'm actively working on at any given time. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yes, moving things into the appropriate folder is important. Right. What What about you, Bob? Uh, same thing. I, I use the uh, that flag feature to help manage my to-do list. And uh, certainly, you know, I, I don't have any particular religion about that. I think people just have to find what works for them in, in how they manage that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And related to the subject line, we, uh, before we started recording, we were talking briefly about the issue of changing the subject line. What, what are your thoughts about that, Bob? Okay. Well, yeah, I do have a, a kind of a sub rule about that you should change the subject line to fit the conversation. And it's very common. Some folks will just pick up an old email and they hit reply all because they say, well, it's, you know, it's mostly the same people who will be interested in this. And, <laughs> at, but they're really changing to a completely new conversation. I get this all the time. <laughs> yeah. And so you'd really like them to change so that you know that it's no longer about the the problem they had last month or two months ago, that they really, they're starting some new discussion. Yeah. And, and, and there's no, at least from my standpoint, there's, or at least from my viewpoint, there's no problem in including the old discussion. If somebody wants to go back and figure out how we got from, you know, the beginning of the conversation to here, but certainly change the topic so that you know that you are now talking about, you know, tomorrow's meeting and not last month's, a data report. Yes. And, you know, the other thing is this always shocks people. But uh, when, I, when I do it, I sometimes people say, what? Why did you do that? I will sometimes trim off if if a conversation has been going a long time and there's page after page after page of old material. Mm-hmm. I, I will sometimes resummarize the, the history at the beginning or the facts of the let's say it's a problem, uh, yeah. and then just trim off and I'll put a note that says thread snipped for brevity, you know, or thread snipped just to keep it short. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a smart idea. I like that. Usually I cut it off, but I don't add the thread trimmed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just figure if they, if they want to know, they'll go back and, and look themselves. So I, I suppose maybe you're a little, uh, uh, you're a little more kind hearted than I am. <laughs> Well, you know, the, all those photographs and scope shots and things that mm-hmm. we've been embedding in the email. After a while, some <laughs> some of these emails, every time someone hits reply all, they just filled up another, you know, four megabytes in your inbox. That, that's <laughs> right. another good reason to trim the thread. You can always go back into their emails and start at changing things to be really inflammatory and see if anyone notices. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, on your on your list of five, Bob, uh, number two was know to whom you were speaking. Yeah, I you know it's it's mostly um, oh you know just this thing. You you certainly you don't want to send an email saying I can't stand Charlie, and it turns out Charlie's in copy. You know, right. <laughs> at least unless you mm-hmm. you want to say that to his face, but you know. Uh, 
I, I just think that it's just generally a bad idea to not know who's in the conversation. Yeah, and but but you don't always know who's in the conversation because there are such things as blind copies. Uh, and so some and so some people may be getting copies of this. You don't think they're getting copies of it, but they really are. However, the way BCC works, they get they get the first email, but they don't get the the your reply in that that thread. Hmm, I didn't know that. Yeah, so if they're, if they're BCC'd on the first e- email, when you do reply all, they're not in your send list. And so that's that's actually okay. But you may be sending it to somebody who goes, hey, Charlie, Bob was speaking poorly of you. Here's a copy. That's right. That's right. And so you really need to assume that every email in some ways is is public and gets forwarded. Right. You talk a little bit about uh uh, carbon copies and BCCs. When would you use each? Ah, so carbon copy to me is people who need to know that something's going on or need to know, you know, what you're talking about. But they're not the people to whom the at the request for action is directed. So if if I'm sending you a thing that says, "Hey, please send me six samples of this." Uh, this product, uh, then you should be in the two line. If I'm asking you for them, mm-hmm. I might I might be copying the local sales rep so that he knows that I've asked for you know six free samples of this. Uh, that that's a kind of just a, a small example of where you you put somebody in copy versus in the two field, and then BCC. It's it's always dangerous to BCC because the person who was blind copied may come back and respond to the whole thread. And then, then everybody knows, Oh, Blue <laughs> okay. cover. yeah. But, uh, but there is a, a really good way to use that. And that is sometimes you want the boss to know about the thread, but you don't want to clog up his email with, with every reply. So you put him on BCC and then at the bottom of your email, you disclose to everybody that he's on BCC. You say BCC colon, you know, the boss. So now everybody knows. So obviously, if you're corresponding with Bob, you need to be reading the fine print at the bottom because that's where all the details <laughs> show up. <laughs> that may be true. I never thought of it that way. No, I've, I've BCC'd the Justice Department on this email. Oh, great. <laughs> No, I, I learned that someone taught it to me because I, I asked him, I said, why do you put BCC, you know, the boss at the bottom? And he said, well, it's I want him, wanted him to know the top level of this discussion, but he's not going to see any of the subsequent things. So, you know, but this way, you know that I, I copied him. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so obviously it's been said many times, but hitting the reply all is a dangerous thing to do as well. Oh, yeah. I think that even shows up in Dilbert, right? Right. Probably more than one. <laughs> I was just, there was just an article this week in, uh, on Deadspin about an epic reply all apocalypse at Time Inc. And uh, somebody, people started posting on the article, you know, the various reply. It was like some bureaucratic or, you know, inner office. Hey, here's how benefits are going to be handled. And somebody, and many people evidently started replying all to HR. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 
in really big companies, it can get quite obnoxious. Yes. Quickly, yeah. too. <laughs> and, and the other thing that I don't ever care for is that, uh, and maybe you can talk to this uh, to the subject, Bob, is that uh, people that put everybody's email on their on what they're sending out. And so everybody who gets that email gets a copy of the address. Just, that's, that's fine if I'm, if I'm having a business communication and they need to know, but if it's somebody saying, you know, there is a, you know, there's a local meetup at, uh, at the local Denny's next Thursday and they send it out to 400 people. I don't need all 400 people to know my email address. Yeah. There's another good use of BCC. Yes. And, and I really agree, especially in what I would call, personal emails as opposed to business emails. Um, and sometimes even in business emails, um, I, I have a friend who sometimes sends out somewhat controversial emails, but he will send it to a BCC list so that nobody can, you know, has to get sensitive about who saw it. They know it came from him, but they don't care about who else saw it. Right. Yeah. So in, another good use for BCC. Yes. I think I've only ever used that field like twice. Apparently, I should start using it more often. Yeah, I'm wishing that uh, people like uh, HR and and when they send out those big news mailers, that they would just BCC everybody. Because then you click reply all, it doesn't go get to you. Right. Brilliant. So this should be this shouldn't just be an engineer's guide to email. You need to make it an everybody's guide to email. Okay. Maybe it's a people who work with engineers guide to email. <laughs> <laughs> so item number three was check it twice, read it thrice. And I maybe overdo this because I can't just crank out an email in five minutes. I write it and then I reread it for clarity. And then I adjust, I play with a couple sentences. And by the time I'm done, I've spent half an hour or 45 minutes cranking out a two paragraph email. And so my, I try to be clear about my emails. I, I think I'm trying to do what you you would suggest that I do, but it just takes so damn long. So can you check it twice, read it thrice, and not take forever doing it? Uh, maybe. Uh, certainly, you know, I, I'm probably exaggerating when I say that, but it it's very common to leave out words that, you, you know, you intended to write a sentence that said, okay, mm-hmm. we're going to do this, and then you you leave out the key word. And so everybody who gets it is scratching their head saying, well, wait, what did he mean? And um, so my son suggested a really neat trick for this. He said, after you're pretty confident that everything's good, he said, have the computer use text-to-speech to read your email back to you because it's, it's, wow. it's fairly an quick. an idea. And he said, on many systems, you know, you just highlight the text and then you right-click and you have it read it and it's often that's built in as in like an accessibility tool but the reason it's so powerful is the computer reads your words back to you but in a voice and a cadence that's not your own mm-hmm. and so with listening you start to recognize errors that your visual brain you know the part that reads text just skips over mm-hmm. is that baked in outlook automatically or you got to check a box to do that you know, I I don't know. I just learned this trick from him, and I haven't tried it yet. But uh, <laughs> I, I really want to try it now because it sounds like a great idea. Have any of you guys taken uh, two or three days to write an email? Like you write it, and then you just save it in your drafts, and you come back the next day and read it again? Mm, I've Yeah, I've done that. Not quite that long. I've waited like a day to send an email. 
not two or three. It, usually when I do it, it's it's enough of a a contentious issue that I am spending time thinking to make sure I've thought out all the aspects of it. And I, I don't want to fire off that email until I've thought through all the ways that the person could respond to it. I usually do it when, if it's something that I get worked up about or am, am, am thinking, I got to respond to this. It's really important. Usually I'll go back and revise my tone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I've yeah. I've had to sit on some emails to cool off uh, on occasion, and that is that is an issue. You can go back and rewrite a sentence. I mean, that's one of the reasons I go back and rewrite stuff a lot. Uh, but but you can take a sentence and phrase it one way, and it sen- sounds very accusatory, and write this basically the same information and word it just a little differently, and it's just informational. And sometimes it's important that you get that phrasing right. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you want to walk the line too, so they know. Uh, don't waste my time <laughs> in the future. <laughs> yes. So, Jeff, can I talk about my my road signs here? <laughs> oh, sure. Well, let's, so we we got through one through three. Four was oh those miserable attachments, and I think we can all agree don't attach it if it's not needed. Yeah. Yeah. And, okay. Oh, I thought this and, was going to be to prevent you know forgetting to attach the email. <laughs> To the email. <laughs> well, that's that's a very common thing is to say, oh, please see the attachment, and then you forget the attachment. We all do that, you know. If only everybody used Gmail, so you had the undo option. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's Gmail. If you say attached, it'll stop and ask you. Yeah, if you, you go sure? to send it, which is awesome. You sure? Yeah. You haven't attached anything. Yeah, yeah. Thunderbird does that too. Yeah, yeah, it's not baked into Outlook, though, sadly. Although I'm sure there's probably an add-on. Yeah, if anybody from Microsoft is listening, please. <laughs> or if you know yeah. an add-on that will tell you that that happens, you know, when you're in that situation, I would appreciate yeah. that, too. Yeah. Okay, so we've 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 covered uh, steps one through four through your five suggestions, Bob. What is number five? Okay, so th- this is my uh, road signs, you know, sure. and it's like uh, stop, caution, and yield. And the stop one is never send an angry email. And and in tw- I've done it in 25 years of doing email. I have always regretted every single angry email I've ever sent. And mm-hmm. often I've regretted it within seconds. <laughs> sometimes people <laughs> made me regret it within seconds. And sometimes I just realized that I had just screwed up. And so... Uh, Friends, just recently, I sent an angry email and then had to send a bunch of apologies. And he sent me a, a little article link about Abraham Lincoln used to write what he called hot letters. And he would, you know, he'd, he'd write this letter that basically was taking someone to task and really being angry. And then he would just put them in a special drawer in his desk and never send them. Yeah. And so I think that's a pretty smart thing is you have a maybe a you know, hot mail folder. Well, no, I wouldn't call it hot mail, but a- angry, <laughs> angry mail folder. And, you know, you'd, you just push things over there. And, and so my trick for that is when I'm going to do one of those, I write it in a different editor so that uh, I can, I've, so I can play with it and I can reword it, but I'm not tempted to hit the send button until I'm really sure that I've got it. So I have to physically copy it from the other editor into my email client before I can possibly send it. Good idea. I think my wife says she always composes an email and never fills in the to field until she's absolutely sure it's ready 
because that way, if she accidentally hits send, it doesn't go out with something half-baked. Right. Okay, so that's, that's stop. What's caution? Caution, and this is strictly for business email. I'm not talking about personal, is stay away from jokes, cartoons, humor, irony, satire, anything like that. Yeah. And, and it's especially important these days from a legal point of view. You know, that, that really funny joke you sent that equated your hydrogen-powered vehicle to the Hindenburg Zeppelin suddenly isn't so funny if somebody actually died in a fire in that vehicle. And, yeah. and it's more and more, you know, uh, emails actually have a, an odd legal status. They can sure be used against you. But they don't necessarily benefit you because a, an email is a, a self-serving document. You know, it's written one way, and there's there's no no agreement, no contract. It's just uh, you saying something. So it can definitely be used against you, but not. It doesn't really help in your favor very much. Right. So it's pretty much all stick, no carrot. Yep. So that's why, as far as business email goes. Just stay away from it, you know. And the other thing is, you you can get into these things where oh, you were creating um, what do they call that? A hostile environment, you know, and or you have some bias that you're demonstrating by because of your joke, you know. Obviously, you you must believe that or something. Mm-hmm. So you know, to me, just in a business environment, just don't send them, don't forward them. You know, maybe if you keep getting that kind of thing from some one person, maybe you go have a quiet word, not by email, but in person and say, hey, stop sending that. Mm-hmm. OK, so my third third one is the yield sign. And uh, I like this one a lot. And that is argue in person or on the phone and agree in writing in email. So. If, if you've got an argument, if, especially if you're angry, but even, even if you just have a disagreement, call the person up or call a meeting or get them on the phone or whatever it takes and argue out your position and then can follow it up with a confirming email where you're all in agreement. Because when you, when you memorialize the argument in email, you're often speaking against your own interest. It, it can really show something that you really don't want to have sitting around in a legal record. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so speaking of legal records, I guess more and more this is controlled by the organizations that we work for. But what about email storage? Yeah. Well, so, you know, emails are discoverable. They can be – they're subject to discovery in a lawsuit. And, um, you know, because of that – uh, you you have to follow your corporate rules about what you keep and what you delete, and um, most big companies today will or big organizations will have a set of rules saying you know here's here's what we want you to keep here's what we want you to get rid of. Uh, certain classes of communication are protected. You can never get rid of them, uh, and I, you know it's like covered under Sarbanes Oxley and all this. Um, but so, so what kind of record can you never get rid of? Well, I said never. I sh- I shouldn't have said that. I, <laughs> there, there's, you know, nothing quite that absolute. But I think things related to um, corporate finance or certainly corporate malfeasance, you you pretty much have this legal obligation not to delete or hide that. Okay. 
Yeah, well, you know, when I was young, my my parents threatened that if I did bad things, it would show up on my permanent record. And I thought maybe this was <laughs> these emails were somehow getting attached to my permanent record. No, no, I don't think so. But <laughs> yeah. well, and, and some organizations have uh, slightly more aggressive retention schedules. Um, I know where I work; every email is archived indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Period. Indefinitely. Indefinitely. Meaning their intention right now is to archive them permanently. Someday that's going to become unreasonable. But, um, well, who knows? I mean, we, we keep getting more and more storage and it keeps getting cheaper and cheaper. It, maybe it's not yeah. unreasonable that, that they'll store it forever. Yeah, maybe. But for the time, time being, it's, it's all, uh, all archived forever and all it takes is a, um, request basically to get it. Right. Right. Wow. And so Brian will, I can't remember in one of our previous episodes, did we discuss EMPs, electromagnetic pulses? Uh, maybe. And, and, and so you seem like you'd probably be the guy to ask, is that a reality? It's probably not going to wreck your data storage. Okay. So we, we don't have to worry about there being some EMP and wiping out all our records from the past 20 years because it's none of it's stored in an analog manner. I mean, I don't want to say never, but I mean, I can't imagine you're going to be, I can't imagine you'd be blown up solid, uh, you know, hard disk drives actually <laughs> okay. with an EMP. I think the lines are too, are okay. too short. Um, so, so you might be able to blow up the drive, but you're not going to send a uh, electromagnetic pulse that's going to wipe out the, uh, the records. I don't want to say never because, you know, high altitude nuclear strikes are kind of a big, I'm not really sure. Um, I've heard some people say, I've heard some people who know things about them say, yeah, you know, effectively anything, all modern equipment is effectively hardened by the fact that it's the T lines are too short to actually matter, you know, with X number of volts per meter. And, you know, the circuits are really short, so you won't get a huge differential voltage across them. Right. That's not where you wanted to go with that. Um, Hey, if if you want to geek out, I'm happy with that. That's good. <laughs> it's it's an area where I have a lot of skepticism, and mm-hmm. I never hardened a single circuit against a nuclear pulse. I did a lot of lightning uh, circuits, mm-hmm. and my guess is that those would be fairly hardened against EMPs. But uh, is a lightning just a big EMP? <laughs> direct strike, direct coupling. Mm-hmm. That's a. Uh, uh, no, I mean, run a couple uh, hundred thousand amps across your ground plane, and that's kind of the problem you have with uh, lightning. Um, one thing to be very careful of is uh, where you're sending technical data to. Um, and this is something anyone who's ever worked in uh, military or dual-use technologies um so it doesn't just have to be military, but if it's military and dual use, you can have problems sending emails containing technical information across national boundaries, even if the people on the other side of the email are Americans or in the same company. Right. So the while the, uh, the sender and the recipient may be the same nationality, the Internet does not know national borders. Yes, and the government can view those things as the uh, unlawful transmission of uh, controlled data. 
Yeah. Hmm. Is there a way to send your packets just through the U.S. to get someone across the country instead of, say, like through Canada or Mexico, depending on where you are? Or the, example that I, the example that I've always uh, been given for that particular case is, I mean, it was kind of the what not to do example where an American defense tech term that firm that also had a UK office was sending um, ITAR protected data to their, you know, to somebody in their UK office, the government found out and basically threw the book at them. Mm. Mm. Um, I meant more of, is there a way to assure, you know, like when I send an email, I, I don't know what path it takes to the internet to get to, I, th- I don't think Somewhere. that's as big of a deal. It's if it like ends up residing on the servers in a foreign country. Gotcha. So like, you know, you've got a salesperson in in Europe that you're copying on data related to some functions you're doing in the U.S. that are, are protected data. You can get in trouble if you copied them. Right. And the other thing, even if you're not sending uh- – you know, national secrets, that sort of thing is to, you know, understand. I think most people do, but that email is for the most part, plain text. It's out there. And, uh, as your, as your message bounces from here to there, anybody anywhere along the way can be looking at that information. All they have to do is sniff the traffic in, uh, unless you're using pretty good privacy, some sort of data encryption system, uh, to, to encrypt it before it gets sent and to decrypt it on the receiving end. That it's out there for anybody to read, and so you do not want to be sending any uh, personal secrets, any business secrets, uh, in open email uh, without taking some precautions. It's actually infinitely more likely that the email server will be copied, and people will just grab the in, grab the entire Outlook server, mm-hmm. and then parse it offsite, like what happened to Sony. Yeah, um, and actually, I was thinking when you were saying. <laughs> When you were when you were talking about uh, putting you know the project number in the subject line of the email, I'm like, oh, so that it's searchable by the people who have stolen it. <laughs> <laughs> in in that case, we should all put phony project numbers, right? Uh, I don't know. I have the general rule of never email something if I can if I can get a, uh, a verbal on it. Right. E- email for me is a horrible thing. Okay. So sort of brings up a, uh, a related issue. And that is how often do you read your email and how quickly do you reply to your email? And so since I'm on email all the time, I'm, you know, I try not to have my life run by email, but I'm checking it at least tens, if not more times a day, seeing if anything's coming in. Now, my responding to email varies. If, if, you know, some things I'm responding to very quickly, some things I'm not responding to for a couple of weeks. Obviously, a lot of things I don't respond to at all if I don't think they're important. What, what about you guys? How, how quickly do you, how often do you read your email and how quickly do you respond to it? Uh, I mean, I'm reading my email throughout the day. I at least have to peek at everything that comes in just to make sure, you know, some fire didn't, uh, you know, arise that requires my immediate attention and I have to drop all the work. But as far as responses, it can vary from, you know, if someone's just asking for a data sheet, I'll respond right then and there. But if they requires me to type out a few paragraphs, I'll save it till right after lunch or right before I go home or sometime when I can actually work on it. Mm-hmm. I go through my email every time I sit down at my desk, if I've got enough to do something, as well as um, 
Outlook will pop up in the by the bottom corner by the clock. Uh, just a very brief. Here's the subject, and it'll be the first pair, first sentence. And if I mm-hmm. notice that, I'll I'll just yeah, okay, that's from so and so. I don't need to read that right now. Or oh, that's from so and so. I need to read that right now. Um, so I'll do that, and usually I respond. Yeah, about 25% of stuff I respond within an hour of me actually seeing it. And the rest, it's usually a day. I am email bankrupt, and <laughs> um, which is a thing. Yep. And uh, my work account, I generally only open the email if it's from my boss or if I was expecting it. So I emailed somebody for a quote on something and they reply back. Uh, and my Gmail is completely and utterly unlooked at. Hmm. If generally, if you need to get a hold of me, you you know SMS text me. Hmm. Good to know. So I have a question because of what you said that. Do you think it's acceptable if you get an email that's using what what I would call SMS speak? In other words, all the really short. Oh, little- that's a wonderful question. I have had tried to have people terminated for doing that. <laughs> Holy <Thank you>. crap. <laughs> that is and I felt so old when I was yelling at somebody about that. I'm I didn't really try to get somebody fired, but I, fe- I felt like I should. Um be, I had somebody who was I think they were a vendor and they were doing support for me like their product was screwing up. I sent them data and they weren't really, they weren't being very responsive. And I sent a terse, Hey, where's the, you know, where are you guys on this? And I got the LOL. Oh, we'll be right with you. <laughs> and I almost, I wanted to reach through the screen and choke somebody. <laughs> it's on, unac- it's, it's unacceptable. I don't even like that for tech business text messages. Yeah. Okay. Write a word. Yes. N B four, that should be B E space F O R, not the battleship coordinates B four. <laughs> uh. Well, I'm I'm glad we're kind of in agreement on this because I certainly think in business email, there there's no place for that, with one exception, if if so, I send an email to some close friends in within the business that says, let's go to lunch now. And somebody sends me back an email that says just the letter K. That's okay. I can accept that. I'll buy that. Yeah, that, that's legit. It's not, I would just say it's not quite a business email. It's more of a, you know, personal email to go to lunch with people at work. But that's, that's semantics, I guess. Right. It's the it's the equivalent of being in a business meeting and calling people either buddy or pal. <laughs> I, I've got a question for you guys. Do any of you have a work-sanctioned instant messaging system? Yes. You mean the thing I turn off every time they apply updates to my computer? Because <laughs> um, I do, and that's the partly be, I mean partly because of that record retention policy we have, but that's the way I would have that conversation is, Hey, do you guys want to go to lunch now through the text message? And then it's gone. It's out of my inbox. I never have to delete it or anything. I agree. So are your text messages being recorded forever as well? 
No. That's part of the reason they, they provided it to us. It's because okay. they didn't want to retain everything. And uh, they wanted to give us an unofficial, unrecorded means of communication. Yeah, their IM client is actually called Loophole. <laughs> <laughs> I, on, on ours, we use um, a... Uh, well, it used to be called Microsoft Link, and now it's called Microsoft Skype for Business. Oh, ours is still called Link. Yeah, ours is Link. Yeah, I am not sure that uh, it depends on the corporate uh, the corporate policy. I don't know that ours deletes all that. And do not trust Chat Roulette for Business. <laughs> uh, yeah, see, so we have the instant messenger, but I turn it off because. You know, sometimes people use it for try to use it like an email, like, hey, what's the status of or, you know, what were the results of that test? And I it's not going to fit in an instant message and I don't want to respond right now. Yeah, there, there's a lot more expectation of immediacy, you know, what with it being called instant messenger. Mm-hmm. Although, Carmen, I'm going to let you in on a little secret here about Link. At least if you've got all the add ins, you can see if somebody's at their desk. Yes, we do have that too. So if you're going to call them, you have a, an idea if they're going to answer. It's, you know when they're ignoring you? Well, <laughs> there are some people that they're just in meetings all day. So is it worth trying to call them and leave them a message? Mm-hmm. Second hint, I don't pick up my phone either. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're a very social creature, Brian. <laughs> I am seriously introverted. <laughs> I got a question for you guys. Does anyone know what Slack is? Yeah. What is that? It it's like a all-in-one situation for communicating. It does, you know, file share and instant messaging for teams, you know, you, it's not really meant for like a whole business. I mean, your whole business could be on there, but you generally bring it up into smaller teams and it lets everybody working on one project, you know, communicate and share stuff easily. And are the conversations persistent through, like, shutdown? What do you mean by shutdown? Um, <clears throat> is it more like an email thread as opposed to an instant message client such that when you jump in and jump out of a conversation, all of the text is saved? Uh, yeah, it's saved. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely got more of an IM feel than an instant message because it's, you know, you, you can collaborate on something real time. Uh, you know, if you're editing something with it, but, uh, yeah, no, it'll save all the text. Like if I sign in, I don't use it for work. It's personal stuff. But, um, if I sign in after not checking for a few days, you know, it'll say there's been X number of posts in the last 24 hours. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And is this something you use at work? No, no. I use it, uh, for personal stuff. Cool. And pragmatic and everything. I've heard okay. of software teams using it. Uh, I do know some businesses do, but uh, I've never been at a hip enough company to embrace that stuff. It's always been Outlook everywhere I've been. Yeah. So, uh, Bob, we've talked a little bit about uh, you know what to put on the subject line and who to copy in the, on your email. Do you have any advice on how to structure your email? You know, what do you put first and what do you put last? Well, I, I certainly I, I'm all in favor of being brief. And, and, you know, trying to 
put something of value to the reader in your email. Just don't don't waste their time. So if it's really long and and you know detailed discussion, put an executive summary at the beginning of the email. That's mm-hmm. that's one of the, my big uh, rules that that I had a boss who taught me because he got very frustrated with these long detailed emails and he said I I don't have time to read this, but <laughs> right. uh, you know. Um, uh, let's see. I, there was that, kind of, that begs the question too. Should should you be writing really long, detailed emails? Like, wouldn't that be something that better goes into a, a report? Yeah, sometimes. Some sometimes I have felt that a really complex subject. You you know, you, we've all had one of these where it's just so complicated. You're never going to deal with it in three lines. You know, it, it's 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 the long form thought kind of thing. Well, we got to this point and then that led us to this and this leads us to this. And here's why we now believe the the last thing. And, and it's mm-hmm. just too complicated. So. So, yeah, I do. Uh, I do sometimes think it's appropriate. Now, you could argue, OK, well, why don't you write a white paper and attach that? Even so, you're probably going to write that email that says, "Well, if you read the attachment, <laughs> you know you're going to see that that I'm arguing in favor of the following, and then then you're going to have mm-hmm. to explain what you want." But um, that, yeah. that would just be your executive summary. Then is the email, and just you know, here's the here's our reasoning in the attached white paper. Uh, you know, in right. short, you know. Uh, lighting our interns on fire is bad or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hurts morale. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, um, it, you're, you're right. It, it may be better not to embed a complex argument in an email, but sometimes I, occasionally I felt like it was necessary because you just had a lot of information that needed to be presented, but yeah. you're, you're, you're trying to get that summarized. And so uh, one of the things to me is you you want to make this, you, you write the email for the recipient. It's not about you. And so you want to think about, well, how's this going to benefit the reader? Why, why does she need this information or why does he even care? Um, and so then the other thing is I think it's really, really important to put what you want them to do at the beginning or, or reasonably early in that email. Yep. You know, like I'm asking you to send me this. Oh, okay. Then they, then they know what you want. Yeah. Because, because most people I think, and certainly I'm guilty of this. If it's more than three sentences, I often do not read the entire email at that point in time. Mm -hmm. It will register my mind that I need to go back and deal with it. But I try to quickly glance through it and see what's going on. And if someone has four paragraphs and at the very bottom paragraph says, and give me a phone call. I may never, I may never get that far. But if you put that as the first sentence, I'm, I'm writing in regards to so and so. Please, please give me a phone call. Uh, and you put that, you know, as the first paragraph. Well, then at least I know that's the action you want me to take. Yep. Now, do you, would this, I guess, be in the executive summary you'd put in the beginning? I mean, sometimes it would kind of throw off the flow of my email to, you know, here are six questions that are, have no context for you to answer. Uh, or would it just say like, Hey, here's follow up on the the report. Uh, there's some questions peppered throughout for you to, to answer that I need more input on. I, I would put the bit, you need the questions answered at the very beginning, even if it, it breaks the flow because it's important that you grab their attention. You let them know what you want. 
No, 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 not not that I. They have questions. That the actual questions themselves that should be in the email, and then just you know say in the beginning like there's questions for you to answer. Yeah, but but then I would make sure you put it in a list that's very easy to find. Oh yeah, I always like indent them and have bullets or something when I have yeah. questions. Yeah, yeah. So, so am I the only one that if I get a really long email, I'll frequently read the last. You know, I'll read the first line, and then if I I don't have time, I'll go check the last line to verify that there's nothing I need to deal with right away. I've gotten into that habit too. Yeah. No, if you don't grab my attention in the first three lines, I don't care. He can't be bothered. He can't be bothered to scroll. His time's important. Got it. Got it. Yeah. No, that's that's way too way too time consuming. Yeah, that's why when we discussed, you know, what share of all our vast advertising revenue, you know, I slipped that in at the bottom what I wanted, and Jeff just said, "Yeah, sure, why not?" Got it. That's how that works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm similar. I I try to skim read through the whole email just to to make sure that I'm not missing the paragraph that says Bob colon please do this you know but but other than that yeah a lot of times I'll just skim over it because I'm I'm just trying to find the keywords yeah yeah well so uh, Carmen had mentioned trying to highlight or bullet or or you know identify the the key parts and one of the issues I run into because I'm very old school. Uh, I read all my email as plain text. Yep. As a result, I often get some very strangely formatted documents because everybody is writing their email in HTML code these days uh, so that it shows up nicely uh, when you're viewing it on on your computer. So what's your opinion there, Bob? Uh, Use HTML uh, a lot, a little, not at all? Well, I, I think HTML formatting is fine, but a little goes a long way. And mm-hmm. so if you use 10 different fonts and seven types of highlighting and 16 different colors, the reader gets tired very quickly, or uh-huh. he's not seeing it at all, like you said, if he's reading it in plain text. So uh, I, I try, try to limit myself to like three variations in text. So I'll, I'll have the body is mostly one variation. Let's just say it's Calibri font in 11 points. And then... If I've got something that needs emphasis, maybe I'll put it in bold or italics. But I try not to alternate. You know, this sentence in italics, this one's in bold, and this one's in red. You know, that eh, it's getting too much. Right. So you, you like putting, say, uh, seven different sizes of Comic Sans in the in your email? <laughs> no, I make my emails festive, like for Christmas. I alternated sentences in red and green. Ooh. What do you think about the people who have like a, a grainy fake resume paper background on their emails? Oh, I don't get that, thankfully. Just makes me twitch. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> me too. So, yeah. Now, occasionally I, I have run into the thing where I'm having to drop into a different language and uh, that that selects a special font, let's say, and then you have to remember to get back to your original font so that things aren't messed up the rest of the time. But, but like I say, I really try to limit myself to very few variations. Yeah. I I find myself using like bulleted lists or numbered lists, you know, interspersed just to highlight attention to things I did or like equipment setups or questions or something I have to ask and that I don't know. I haven't gotten any complaints, but I've never actually gotten any feedback feedback on my emails. Mm-hmm. 
So that's a good question. Maybe we should all ask people to comment on our emails. You, you have your year-end review with your boss and just say, uh, hey, how's my emails doing? Well, we, we know Brian would not send any emails because he doesn't read any. So that would be a new point for his interview. <laughs> yes. Yes. There we go. I send emails occasionally. Oh, okay. You just don't read them? No. I, you should see my inbox. It's basically – 20 emails a day from my vendors saying, hey, we're having a lunch and learn. Hey, we're having a lunch and learn. <laughs> you say, awesome, free lunch, and you just pick one. Hey, do you want to hear about our new dev board? Yeah. No. Hmm. That's what filters are for. Yeah, block this block this user. Yes. Some Some companies, which will remain nameless, just seem to have a limitless supply of people to spam me with day in and day out. <laughs> I feel like every other day, I'm just right-click block user, right-click block user. Is that the company that you work for? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a test equipment company. It's, it's why I'll use a uh, you know a, a one-time use email address like Gorilla Mail or something to get driver downloads for test equipment, or you know, God forbid they put their app notes behind a you know sign up and. <laughs> Download this app note. Yeah, sure. Gorilla Mail. You get uh, YYZ at sharklasers.com or whatever the hell it gives me. <laughs> That's such a brilliant idea. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I use it all the time. And by all the time, I mean two, three times a month, maybe more. <laughs> yeah. And it really cuts down on the spam because I'll just make the one-time fake account uh, if it requires a company address and I don't want to get mailed stupid catalogs that go right in recycling, I'll pick a Walmart in a random state and use that. And uh, <laughs> 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 send them my fake email address and then I can get my driver downloads and, you know, whatever else I need. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it works. <laughs> you know, my, my name is Mr. Please Don't Do This Anymore. You know, just I mean, somebody <laughs> will get it one day and, you know, I'll put an end to this practice. <laughs> uh, well, Bob, we, we've uh, uh, we've talked about email a bit, and you've offered us some uh, good ideas. We should probably uh, think about wrapping this up. Uh, I've got uh, two questions. I'm gonna in a minute. I'll offer you a chance to uh, uh, tell us about any final ideas you might have or final thoughts. But uh, one issue that that I thought about as we were talking uh, here is the issue of attachments. And so in the early days of email, if you attached anything that was over, uh, you know, a few hundred kilobytes, you could clog someone's system up. And then, you know, email has gotten better and faster. And so, you know, a megabyte is not too big a deal. But I still see people that are attaching like 10 and 12 megabyte uh, photos and sometimes multiple photos to email. And so uh, where's the where's the trade-off? At which point? You know, do you say this is not appropriate for sending via email and I should find, um, you know, Dropbox or Google Plus or some other means of, of transferring this data? Yeah, exactly. You, you really should. Um, if it's I, I kind of like to, you know, to me, it's the one of thing. So if, if I have one photo, I have no problem emailing it. And most of the time, the email systems won't break with especially you can. You can size reduce the photo uh, mm-hmm. in Photoshop or something. Um, so, th- so that's usually my my rules are more like guidelines there. Uh, but if 
if it's huge, you know, if you're up to 15 megabytes or multiple files, then as you say, put it out on a, a place, Dropbox or someplace that's a shared server that the other guy can get to, and then just send him a link. And, and you're, you're doing everybody a favor when you do that. I'm going to highlight one thing you said there okay. that the other guy can get to. And check with that person beforehand because not all IT departments will let people actually get to stuff. Uh, okay. Um, I, I, for instance, have a lot of trouble getting to FTP sites. Uh, it, it takes about a week for me to get privileges to get to an external FP, FTP site. True. Okay. Jeez, in a week, I might as well just send a carrier pigeon. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so that's something where, you know, I prefer somebody send that to me as an email because then I don't have to deal with IT uh, and getting that opened. But that's, a, a, you know, once again, you're writing the email to the recipient. You know, for me, that's, it's far easier than dealing with that. And, you know, Google Drive and Dropbox are all blocked. So I don't get a choice. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, you know, that's a, there, there are exceptions. Yeah. And, and it's a corporate policy thing. So I, I, I mm-hmm. do agree with you that um, you've got to know what the guy at the other end is allowed to do as well as what you're allowed to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's a good one. I, I need to, I'm going to scribble a note here. <laughs> <laughs> No, right. and, and in the worst case, you burn a CD and you send it via mail, regular mail. It, more often than you would think. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it happens. Well, actually, I mean, I think the situation Adam's in is probably going to become more and more common as, um, I guess, enlightened IT impart, uh, departments basically clamp down on your ability to use a computer like a computer. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I I think that days of using USB drives is coming to a, an end pretty quickly. Um, at least any company that understands the threat would never allow anyone to plug in a USB drive. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now that's pretty scary, though. I don't know that I could do my job if I can't do that. <laughs> You'd be surprised. It's I've heard of stories of. Computers coming with uh, USB ports disabled, or somehow they're able to stop people from using them. Yeah, I've also been in facilities where USB drives were the only place to transfer information, and they literally had a uh, like a jelly bean jar full of one-time use USB drives. What prevented you from using them multiple times? Uh, their internal policies, but like it, it wasn't like they burned up after use, like. <laughs> It was like the old Mission Impossible where the tape machine burned up. No, that, but they had a pol- this place had a policy of if if they give you data, you never give them data. And so if you wanted data, you would go into their magic jelly bean jar of USB drives. Or it was more like a punch bowl, actually, with like 200 USB drives in it. You'd give it to somebody, they'd give you the data, you know, and like make a mark on it so that it never went back in one of their computers. Hmm. Seems like a little extreme, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very cost effective. Well, you, you're buying 200, it's not that bad. In the age of Stuxnet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, if it's a nuclear launch code, sure, spare no expense, but for, uh, you know. 
I think the more common policy is this drive does not go into any computer not on our network mm-hmm. and under their security. Or once it leaves, it never comes back. Yeah. So, so companies are, are definitely being taking, you know, proactive steps to try to protect their network and, and the company's information. Um, but in the meantime, we still have email. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can still, <laughs> we can still send it via email. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we should wrap this up, Bob. Uh, any final thoughts? Oh, I, I have a really strange note. Uh, you know, the other day I realized I probably have received by email more notices of someone's death than by any other communication method. Great. Now I got to start reading my emails. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not supposed to wish for those. <laughs> Uh, you know, and when I first wrote that sentence, I, I realized I had written it as I had received more notices of death by email than any other method. <laughs> <laughs> and so, suddenly it just sounded all wrong and didn't have the right meaning. But maybe you can die from email. So anyway, let's hope not. <laughs> well, we certainly know that uh, email is a valuable tool and, and uh, we appreciate your coming back to the engineering commons and sharing some uh, tips with us so that uh, we can all be more effective in our communications. Okay. Well, thank you for having me tonight. Uh, thank you. Yes. Thanks a lot, Bob. Good. The Engineering Commons is produced in affiliation with Big Beacon, a social movement for transforming engineering education. For more information about the podcast you've just heard, please visit theengineeringcommons.com. Our musical introduction is by John Trimble and our concluding theme by Paul Stevenson. <laughs>